Welcome to Funds in Focus by the senior members of the investment strategy team at FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds. Join our experts as they explore how current market trends are shaping the investment landscape. In each episode, you'll learn how a specific FlexShares ETF operates and how the market has impacted the fund, along with the potential long-term implications of your client portfolio. Now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to the Funds in Focus podcast. I'm David Partain, and I'm joined with my co-host, senior investment strategist with Northern Trust Asset Management, Chris Humer. Hello, Chris. I'm excited for our discussion. Why don't you tell our listeners what we will be discussing today? Sure, David. Uh, thanks for everybody joining us. Today, we're going to be talking about some ideas for 2022 and, and some of the, the topics we've been talking to with clients. So I'm excited for the discussion. On Funds in Focus, we seek to explore current market trends and how they are shaping the investment landscape. In each episode, with over 50 years of combined industry experience, Chris and I will provide relevant, timely, and actionable ideas that you can utilize to help drive your portfolio forward. Along the way, we will take the opportunity to talk about FlexShares ETFs and how to implement them into your portfolio. As George Gilder says, remember the markets are simply a pricing mechanism of current information. So let's get you some timely information. Chris, with equity markets becoming increasingly volatile, what are some ways that FlexShares clients have navigated or can navigate this volatility in the equity portion of their portfolios? Yeah. In In my conversations with clients, there definitely have been some themes that have come up again and again. And Volatility is definitely one of one of those for sure. Uh, one of the things that I talk to with clients is that while we are viscerally experiencing market volatility uh, here in early 2022, uh, really we've seen market volatility increase ever since the global financial crisis, with more mm-hmm. frequent uh, spikes in in the VIX uh, that we did com- post financial crisis that as we saw beforehand. So really, this has been something that's been increasingly uh, of note uh, and something that we've wanted to, to focus with with clients for quite some time. Uh, what's what's happened more recently, obviously, is as volatility has increased, clients are typically looking to de-risk their portfolios. And, and typically, in traditional 60-40 portfolios, that has been a move away from risk assets. Uh, but between the low rate environment and the opportunity co- cost of missing on upward trending equity markets, fixed income can really be viewed as an expensive alternative these days. And, and clients are looking for an alternative to that. So with that in mind, really, uh, ex- low volatility strategies have been one of the ways that we've talked to clients uh, about adjusting their risk assets by lowering their risk profile or potentially lowering their risk profile uh, through a basket of lower volatility names. Yeah, so just so everyone knows, VIX is, of course, the ticker symbol of the popular name for the Chicago Board Options Exchange, and it's really the SIBO Volatility Index. And I have seen that what you're talking about, Chris, and showing that volatility has increased since that time, what are some key considerations investors need to be aware of when investing with a low volatility strategy? Yeah, for me, the the, the chief concern is being aware of biases and idiosyncratic risks that could be a part of a generic low volatility strategy. Typically, unabated or, or, or unsector constrained 
low volatility strategies tend to be overweighted in specific sectors, things like staples and utilities. And anytime that you're taking large sector bets in your portfolio, uh, generally, especially when you're combining them with factors, those are, are not efficient ways of capturing those factor exposures. Uh, and, and when you're looking at de-risking your portfolio, uh, trading off volatility risk for idiosyncratic risk is probably not what uh, advisors are looking for or institutional clients are looking for. Uh, 2021 was a perfect example of, of why you want to take a sector neutral approach to low volatility as staples and utilities were two of the worst performing sectors. And it led to underperformance in uncapped uh, sec uh, low volatility strategies compared to sector neutral strategies. The other thing that I would be aware of is adding layers to low volatility. So, so one of the things that we look at uh, in, in our quality low volatility strategies is combining financial health or quality with, with, with low volatility. The reason we do this is we find that historically, uh, those companies of the poorest financial health tend to be the most volatile over time. And so by eliminating those poorest quality companies from our opportunity set, we're looking to avoid uh, that, that volatility going forward by in, the, in the actual allocation portfolio. Hmm. All right, so idiosyncratic risk. I know I've been in the business a while. And just so everyone knows, the inherent factors that can negatively impact individual securities or uh, a very specific group of assets. Of course, the opposite of that is your systemic risk. And so what you're what we're talking about here, and that is great insight in low volatility, but low volatility was not the only factor that did well in 2021. What other factors perform well and are any factors attractive to you today in today's market environment? Yeah, David. And I think you made a good point about talking about idiosyncratic and systemic risk. I think one of the other ways you'll hear, you'll hear factors be described as compensated or uncompensated mm. factors. Yeah. Uh, and so when we talk about compensated factors, they, those are ones from academic research like value and size, momentum, quality, dividend yield that we, we see both academically or in, in real world market environments historically providing incremental excess returns. Uh, when we talk about non-compensated factors, it's over the long-term, those, those elements or those biases or risks that you take that don't always add to value over the long run. And, and sector biases tend to fall into that camp. Uh, so we always have a belief in being compensated for the risk you're taking. And that's one of the reasons why we believe in, in taking uh, a sector neutral low volatility approach. So David, I, I appreciate you, you pointing that out. Um, to answer the question you did ask, which was what other factors did well and along with low volatility, last year was a strong year for factors across all geographies. Uh, across both uh, across the U.S. developed market, XUS, and emerging markets, value, quality, momentum all did uh, well. All of those were positive factors over the long run through our research and our definitions of those factors. If you go to developed markets, XUS, along with those factors, yield also did well, and then in emerging markets, both yield and size outperformed. So strong factor performance across the board. Uh, and it really leads to excitement going forward. One of the things that I'm talking to a lot about clients and based off of some of the research we've done is really in, in the market environment we are in and the monetary policy environment that we are in where the, the Fed has announced quantitative tightening. 
they have uh, put forth a picture of rate hikes and have talked about potentially accelerating the quantitative t- uh, tightening and 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 the, the the cadence of potential rate hikes in the future and the market's interpretation of that. So the market is interpreting the the Fed uh, raising rates several times this year. Uh, and then that's that that has changed and, and accelerated the pace from November to today. Uh, and and from a factor perspective, there's certain factors that historically our research shows have done well in uh, periods of of increasing rate hikes and the things like value or size uh, and aspects of what we what we term quality, what we the investment factor or what we call management efficiency. Uh, how conservative uh, companies are at deploying capital. Uh, those factors have historically done well when interest rates are, are moving higher. In fact, Northern Trust Asset Management has a paper uh, entitled Taking Interest Rate Risk Out of Factor Investing that explores this in greater detail if anyone is looking for more research on the topic. So for me, one of my uncompensated factors is my gray or very white hair. So I don't get compensated for that. Is that what we're talking about here, Chris? It, it depends <laughs> on the, the environment you're in. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, for uh, those of you that are interested, FlexShares has a suite of uh, quality low volatility index ETFs, QLV, QLVD, and QLVE for developed markets and emerging markets. So let's dive into another trend that you're seeing. And last year, that trend where investors took it by storm was around sustainable investing or ESG. How has this interest evolved during your time? And is this a trend that you see continuing in 2022? Yeah, uh, let's answer the second part of the question first, which is emphatically yes. Yeah. You know, in my conversations with clients across institutional, advisory, regardless of region by region, I don't mean equity class region, geographic region when we're talking to clients in Europe, uh, in Asia, in the United States, um, and across all asset classes, client interest in sustainable investing is growing and that growth is accelerating Mm-hmm. Uh, over time, so uh, emphatically, we, we empirically, we can say yes that that we see that trend continuing in 2022. Um, as far as the evolution in the space that I'm seeing is the really it's it's how products tackle interpreting ESG data is becoming more sophisticated, as has the investment design behind these products, which is really a good thing. Uh, because as we see volatility increase in markets, how these products are designed will become greater focus as investors that incorporating ESG principles or sustainable investing principles into uh, an, uh, into an investment process is, is, is great. Uh, but my belief is that how these products balance ESG and climate improvement with elements like tracking error, or as we talked about, idiosyncratic risk will be equally as important. Also, the potential to examine sustainable investing as both a core allocation or integrating factors such as quality with uh, ESG could be attractive options for clients as well. Huh. Yes, and as we have the greatest ticker in all the world for our ES, our first ESG uh, ETF, which was ESG, and then if you wanted to go global, ESGG, but we also have introduced the whole 
uh, lineup of uh, ETFs around this particular topic, and and they come in developed markets as well as U.S. So you have the FEDM and FEUS, and then what we're going to talk about next is our fixed income, and that would be on the sustainable side, FEHY and FEIG. So having grown up uh, first as a fixed income trader, I feel remiss if we didn't talk about it. So are there any areas in fixed income that interest you? For, for, for fixed income, where we continue to be bullish on high yield for a couple of reasons. First, in the current rate environment, uh, we prefer credit risk to term risk. And what I mean by that is uh, credit spreads uh, and, and, and credit risk uh, versus term risk being sensitivity to interest rates. So mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in the balance of the fixed income space, we prefer to take the credit risk today. And the, that ties to the second reason, which is our view is that corporate balance sheets are, are very strong right now. And they continue to be strong, and and that should keep default rates low. Uh, and with the strength in balance sheets, uh, that will be very positive for for the high yield space. And I, I think one of the things that, if you, if you think of the evolution of the high yield space, is is it's what's in there now today is no longer uh, the quote unquote junk bonds of the past that there are compelling investment opportunities in that high yield space uh, just because of the the change in the dynamics of the marketplace. Yeah, I understand when I first got in the business, of course, Milken was uh, preaching junk bonds there in the late 80s. And so it is very different today. And FlexShares has a high yield ETF, of course, HYGV, which we uh, um, also think is a uh, does a very good job of providing investors with a, with a exposure to this sector. All right. So you can't go down the street without somebody yelling at you about inflation. It is on top of everybody's mind. What are some ways investors may look to protect their portfolios against this inflation? Yeah. Uh, our preference is looking towards real assets as the tool to combat inflation. Often we advocate with clients to take a multi-time horizon approach to inflation protection and, and use a mix of asset classes. Uh, but right now in the current environment, uh, one of those key pieces, which is for what we, we term our intermediate term kind of inflation uh, tool that we use, which is natural resource equities, uh, is, a, is a component that we're talking to a lot of investors about uh, and that we feel very strongly as a key component today. And as we've seen energy prices at the beginning of this year and, and last year, uh, as energy prices have done well, uh, natural resources equities uh, is is in top of people's minds, but I would be remiss without talking about uh, the the benefits of having agriculture in there, metals and mining, uh, timberland and and water, and that whole basket, that whole complex of natural resource equities uh, is is really compelling to me as an investor today. So why natural resource equities over actually buying commodities? Here in Chicago, of course, we're familiar with the Board of Trade. Why natural resource equities? Yeah, and there's several reasons we we like the equity based approach as opposed to futures. One of the things that I often want uh, investors to remember is that the uh, the spot price of the commodity uh, is just one component of which you get with a futures contract. 
remember that that contract is going to be continually rolled over time. Uh, there's different methodologies to do that. But if your curve is in uh, the term being contango, meaning that uh, future prices are higher than current prices, uh, which is the the majority of the time it, the curve is in the futures uh, the commodity curve is in contango. Uh, you are going to be paying more, and so you are going to be losing return by just rolling that curve future and future time periods. Uh, and as we've seen over the last decade, really uh, natural resource equity has performed much better than uh, commodities futures over the last 10 years. Uh, with 20, to be fair, 2021 was the exception to that. But overall, we, we like that natural resource equities has performed better. Uh, it's given similar uh, protection to inflation over that time period. Uh, and, and for those clients that are tax sensitive, uh, equity, an equity-based approach can uh, be more advantageous from a tax perspective than relying on derivative futures contracts uh, from, from that, from any gains potential that are realized over the time period. Uh, in addition to that, uh, there's part, parts of the natural resource complex that have little or no futures contracts uh, that written on them. And those areas I'm, I'm thinking of are, are things like Timberland, where there's there's some contracts, but not much. Uh, timber, yeah. our, our, our research has shown uh, that timber is the highest correlated uh, natural resource or commodity to inflation. Uh, and then the other one being water where I don't, I, there's no contracts that I, I'm aware of written uh, for futures contracts on water. Uh, and when you think about it from a perspective of all natural resources, not just agriculture, but when you're talking about mining or timberland, or um, or energy, really water is a key component in harvesting any of those resources. So it, for us, it is, is the, the ultimate to have that uh, exposure included in our natural resource uh, complex. Uh, and then the third reason uh, why we prefer natural resource equities over commodities is uh, particularly in this low rate environment, uh, the income that you get from owning the actual natural resource companies. Uh, these are dividend payers oftentimes. And so getting that dividend income is an added bonus to the whole total return of the of the uh, of the natural resource exposure, that is something that you don't get with a futures based uh, commodity uh, strategy. So, unless somebody's going to harvest a forest in their backyard, I would recommend that they go into uh, our our gunner G U N R as a, a substitute for doing a forest in their backyard or putting up a uh, a wild uh, river dam in, in, uh, nearby. Uh, so. I'd like to close the program with one major takeaway for advisors from today's, today's conversation. What would that be? Yeah, I, I think this is going to be a year of transition, uh, but there are opportunities across all asset classes. For me, the equity market story is the most interesting, particularly from a factor perspective. Hmm. I'm really excited to see how factors like quality, low volatility, and value do, and if they can continue the positive momentum we've seen from these factors, uh, both in 2021 and, and here in early 2022 as well. 
And if you're looking for more resources, flexshares.com has a couple you may be interested in. Inflation Protection in Portfolio Allocation is a paper you may appreciate and correspond to our discussion about real assets, as well as harnessing the power of ETFs for inflation hedging. Well, Chris, that is it for today. David, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure to, to that, and I look forward to next time. Thank you for listening to Funds in Focus. You can learn more about us by visiting our website, go.flexshares.com slash funds and focus. When you get there, be sure to click the subscribe button to be notified when new episodes are available. If you like this podcast, you may also like the other Flexshares podcast, The Flexible Advisor. Check it out today and you'll find it wherever you get your podcasts. For myself and Chris Humer, we want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us on today's episode of Funds in Focus. And because we mentioned several FlexShares ETFs on today's podcast, remember, before investing, carefully consider the FlexShares investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is on the prospectus and a summary prospectus, copies of which may be obtained by visiting FlexShares.com. Read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Foresight Fund Services, LLC, is the distributor of FlexShares ETFs. An investment in FlexShares is subject to numerous risks, including possible loss of principal. Fund returns may not match the return of the respective indices. A full description of risks is available in the prospectus. Thank you for listening to Funds in Focus. You can learn more about us by visiting our website, go.flexshares.com slash fundsinfocus. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. Before investing, carefully consider the FlexShares investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus and a summary prospectus, copies of which may be obtained by visiting www.flexshares.com. Read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Foresight Fund Services, LLC Distributor. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. There is no guarantee that a specific strategy will be successful. ETFs are subject to specific risks, depending on the nature of the underlying strategy of the fund. These risks could include liquidity risk, sector risk, as well as risks associated with fixed income securities, real estate investments and commodities, to name a few.